The following has been brought to you by SJP World Media. You people, you know who I am. But you don't know why I'm here. This is where the big boys play, huh? Look at the adjective. Play. Go at it live on WCW Monday Nitro, where the big boys play every Monday night at 8 on TNT. Hello and welcome to Nitro Nights here on the SJP World Media Network, a WCW Look Back podcast, one show at a time. My name is Sai, and joining me as always is the booty man hating wrestling encyclopedia himself, Scottish Danny. How are we doing, bud? That's a brilliant intro, Sai. I'm doing really well, thank you. How's yourself, mate? <laughs> yeah, pretty good, pretty good. Excited after last week's Nitro to check out this one. And then I think after this Nitro, we're, we're, we've got a pay-per-view show coming up, haven't we? Yep, we're going to be delving into WSW Uncensored 1996, and I'm really excited. Yeah, and me. Well, the main event, maybe not, but the rest of the card, I'm, I'm getting excited about, yes. Uh, this episode then of Monday Nitro, first broadcast on Monday the 18th of March from Chattanooga, Tennessee. Uh, and it won the ratings again. Nitro had a 3.6 to Raw's 2.9. Quite a quite a wedge there. So that's quite, you know good to see from a WCW standpoint. No definitely. intro. Sorry, Danny, go on. No, I was going to say definitely you can see the tides changing, can't you? Well, yes, you can. And again, I made a little note of what was going on on the other channel at this point. It's not something I'm going to do every show because I don't think we need to, but it's just curious in this time when I'm really enjoying these nitros, I was thought, what, what is on the other, other station? Uh, we had Savio Vega going to a double count out with Steve Austin. The Godwins, Henry Godwin and Phineas Godwin defeated Jerry Mead and Alex Porto in less than two minutes. Uh, Hunter Hurst Helmsley defeated someone named Vin Greer again in less than two minutes. And The Undertaker and Yokozuna defeated Owen Hart and Davey Boy Smith by disqualification after just over five minutes. So you've got no matches here that go very long. Two go to a non-finish and two are squash matches. So you can understand why I think people were getting a little bit fed up of what they were seeing on the other channel, Danny. Definitely. It's like, that I said it uh, last week, it was like, it's very much a, a taped, uh, not a ta- like a, it's almost like it's taped for a jabroni show, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, it doesn't. It doesn't. I read those results, and I think to myself, I don't want to go and watch that. You yeah. know, whereas I look at some of the matches on this card, 
I think to myself, okay, I, w- I would check this out. Obviously, we check it out anyway for the podcast, but I would have checked it out anyway, looking at what you know, the writer was beforehand. Uh, the show starts without its usual intro, without its usual beginning. We just come on air, and Loch Ness and the Giant are fighting in the aisle, scrapping all over the place. And I love this. This was brilliant, because straight away, you're like, whoa, what's going on? The, the, the show has began before the cameras were even rolling. This is awesome, Danny. This really was. I really enjoyed um, this different intro. I really enjoyed Eric Bischoff saying, oh, get your headset on, get your headset on, um, making it seem like it was very much in the moment and it was like nothing you'd ever see before. It was like, wow, can you imagine if WF did this at this time? Um, yeah, it was a really, really good intro. Yeah, and it's again, it's that feeling of it's live television and anything can realistically happen. So you don't want to miss. You think that previous weeks we were always talking about our commentators open the show and so on, which they tend to on Nitro. But here now you're thinking, I cannot put on Raw and then flick over in a few minutes because this happened last week or this happened the other week. So, you know, straight off the bat, something is going on. So again, it's to me, it's just little touches that make you think, I cannot miss Nitro because it really feels like anything could happen. Definitely. And um, it was very smart of Eric Bischoff to start Nitro two minutes early before Raw. So, as you said, they, they will definitely not be thinking about changing over to Raw because they know what's coming up rather than here. It was very spontaneous. Yeah, definitely. Uh, and it just gets better for me here because apparently the match that we're supposed to be getting is Loch Ness versus Lex Luger. And as <laughs> as the Giant and Loch Ness are fighting in the aisleway, Luger's music starts playing. And he comes out carrying his two championship belts, smiling away, shakes his head a little bit at the two giants scrapping next to him, hands the belts to uh, an assistant of some description, does his poses, his fireworks go off and everything. And he just walks past these two fighting, smiling away to himself, carrying his belts, gets in the ring. The referee gives a quick count, uh, counts Loch Ness out. And Luger just celebrates like he's won the world title for beating Loch Ness by count out as Loch Ness is still fighting with the giant. It's just smarmy, chicken shit, heel stuff from Luger, and it's amazing. It really is. I mean, that, that was straight away, that was probably my favorite moment of this entire Nitro run because uh, he was definitely just so like um, dismissive of uh, his opponent, and he was just like, oh, that, that's happening there. But look at me, I've got two championship belts and this amazing body. And also, the commentators were also making it sound like that because they kept typing up Lex Luger. And uh, I thought that was really, really cool and really excellent character work from Luger. Yeah, it was great. It was great. And the fact that he took the time whilst this scrap was going on, these two massive, monstrous men, he took the time to pose with his his pyro going off it's just so good luger again at this period is fantastic uh he even goes up to the commentary position and starts ranting about how he's on a roll and michael and bischoff are saying how can you celebrate a victory like that and he's i'm gonna celebrate it i'm on a roll i'm winning all over the place and he high fives bobby heenan and he's smiling away so proud of himself it is brilliant by luger really cool stuff really cool stuff we then get Hogan out with Randy Savage, and he is speaking to Tony Schiavone because Mean Gene, we're told, is not very well this week. He's uh, he's back at home nursing, I think they said the flu potentially or something like that, wasn't it? But um, 
Hogan and Savage are talking the uncensored pay-per-view on Sunday, and we get the usual back and forth, ranting, shouting, who can sound the most you know, gruff and gravelly in their voice, and who can reel off the most catchphrases, and so on. But one thing that really stood out to me in this promo was Hogan turning around and saying, we are so happy. We really like that there are no stinking titles on the line in this match. Yeah, well done, Terry. Great way to bury your whole, you know, championship division there, making out that you just don't care about the stinking titles. We're happy we don't have an opportunity to win any titles. What a ridiculous line by Hogan that was. It's that it goes back to that old adage of um, if Hulk Hogan can't have a championship, he's worthless because he's the top man. So it was like, yeah, I'm with you, son. That it just devalues the championship as just a shame and also devout hurts rick flair a little bit because it's like oh he kind of should be bigging him up and saying oh yeah rick flair i won your world championship but instead he's like he's not concerned with it is he no he doesn't want no stinking titles apparently uh, uh, um just quickly sir um the thing i found shocking about this was the mega powers name wasn't that what they were called in the wf yeah it was but i'm not sure it was ever you know patented or copyrighted or anything like that i mean the fact that they're using it in wcw especially in this era in 96 when there were lawsuits going back and forth and there'll be even more lawsuits going back and forth very very soon uh, and you know threats of legal action for this and that and, and so on if there was an issue i imagine it would have already surfaced so i'm assuming that they were okay to use that i guess Cool. I mean, that's just it's it just blew my mind. It was like I thought I was watching uh, 80s WWF for a second when they came out. <laughs> <laughs> you get that feeling sometimes watching WCW in this era, don't you? Yes, <laughs> <laughs> you mentioned there about Ric Flair and the world title. And this is a note actually I've got for later on in the show, but as soon as you brought it up, we'll discuss it now. How do you feel in general then uh, as we go into uncensored and we've got this massive multi-man four cage main event and the mega powers versus, you know, every man and his dog and all this sort of stuff. How do you feel about the current state of the WCW world title picture and the current state of the, the world title itself, how it's viewed at the moment? Because to me, it really feels like the world title has been forgotten about these last few weeks and it's playing second fiddle to everything else. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. It's like, it's kind of in the background because Ray Flair is more concerned with um, having woman and uh, taking Liz from the Macho Man rather than uh, sometimes even showing the world championship or coming out with the world title. And also the fact that the booty man is involved in this um, devalues any hopes of seeing a world championship match. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it is interesting how uh, they're really pushing this main event at Uncensored. It do- it's been dominating Nitro for the last few weeks, you know, in, in many aspects, in many undercard matches as well as main event matches as well, a lot of promos and so on. And the world title is just kind of there, getting carried by women or around Ric Flair's waist. It really does feel like a secondary thing in this whole picture, which is a shame, which is a shame. Definitely. It was like, um, it's just, it's just, yeah, as you said, it's just there. I mean, mm. hopefully after Uncensored, we'll get the spotlight put back on to it as it richly deserves. Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully so. We have a standby match next, but this is a match that is, uh, 
you know, literally that on standby backstage in case anything happens, you know, a match goes quickly or doesn't take place. So, of course, Luger with his incredible victory over Loch Ness at the start of the show means that we have a standby match here to fill the airtime. Our standby match is the Public Enemy versus the Steiners, which is great. Another opportunity to see the Steiner Brothers after last week's, you know, suplex crazed, you know, match. The Public Enemy, again, they're they're not going to win any mat classics, are they? They are what they are. They're stunt filled and, and, you know, brawling style. But it just goes to show again, I suppose, how the, the WCW tag team scene at this time it is relatively impressive. You've got Public Enemy and the Steiners. You've got the Nasty Boys and the Legion of Doom or the Road Warriors. You've got the actual champions themselves. You've got Harlem Heat. Uh, I mean, somewhere hanging around, you've got you know Buck and his mate somewhere, aren't you? But the less, less said about them, the better. But you've got all these teams that, realistically, any one of those teams could hold the tag titles, and it wouldn't seem out of place, Danny. Yeah, definitely. And they're all giants of uh, men, aren't they? I mean, I was going through the WWE tag team division earlier and I just thought, yeah, the only like team that could be considered small is the American males at this point. Um, everyone was a giant uh, or a megastar <laughs> at this yeah. point. But yeah, it was a very good tag team division. But even that, the American males, I mean, you look at the size of Buff Bagwell, or Marcus Bagwell, as he's taught here, he, he is put together. He's not a small guy, you know. It's it's it's, and I suppose it's established teams as well, isn't it? It's not just two singles guys put together for a run because they've got nothing better to do. These are tag teams that were established in the NWA or Jim Crockett Promotions or the WWF, or they were established elsewhere potentially, and have come into WCW and built this tag division that it has quite a bit to it. Now you look at tag wrestling a great deal in the WWF or WWE in recent years. You tend to have maybe one tag team as champion and another tag team as challengers, and not many other teams bulking out the division. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah that's a great point. No, I was going to say that's a great point. It was like um, t- t- f- uh, men thrown together, isn't it? Wrestlers thrown together. Yeah, yeah. Whereas here, and we've seen it actually, Danny. Now, now we're talking about it. You see sometimes the tag champs involved, or sometimes not. But yet, we also then see two or three other tag matches on the card or advertised for Saturday night. So the fact that they can do that without even having the champions involved shows how strong the division is, I think. Definitely. And it builds up the credibility of the challengers for future championship matches. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. The, the match itself. I mean, first of all, the crowd absolutely love the Steiners. They, they are all about the Steiners in this one. Uh, Public enemy naturally take a little detour and pick up some furniture on their way to the ring. We then get a couple of pieces of information from our commentary team saying that Dennis Rodman has been suspended for six games. Do you know why he was suspended for six games, Danny? No, I, was, I wasn't aware. I did hear that announcement, but no, I didn't think he yeah. came until later. Well, it's, it's breaking news. This news sort of uh, came out, I suppose, on their version of the, the Sky Sports News channel, potentially, about Dennis Rodman being suspended for six games and fined $20,000 because he headbutted a referee during a game. Wow. So, yeah, that's going to do it. <laughs> just about, just about. <laughs> 
Yeah. Well, that's that's um, pretty cool. It's, I did find Eric Bischoff's comment about he doesn't like Dennis Rodman um, telling because he'd be working with him uh, in the future, wouldn't he? <laughs> yeah, not too far away, to be fair. Not too far away. But yes, that was interesting that they're breaking news on Nitro as well now. News from elsewhere, I guess. We also have the news that Sting has a partner now for his match against the Road Warriors in the Chicago Street Fight at the Uncensored Pay-Per-View this Sunday. And he is partnering up with one half of Harlem Heat, Booker T. There's no explanation to this, no conversation, no 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 sting going around trying to find himself a partner. No, none of that. We don't need to. We don't need background story. Sod it. Just get Bischoff to say it on air. That'll do. More of that breaking news side is like, yeah, you have to watch the matches to get this information. You can't just, uh, it, it doesn't happen unless you have the WWE hotline. But uh, maybe the explanation was given on that side. Maybe. Ah, uh, maybe. Maybe Mean Gene spilt the beans and we uh, and we've missed it because we didn't want to pay our five dollars a minute or whatever it freaking was. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the match itself here then between the Steiners and Public Enemy. It's quite a wild brawl, as you'd imagine, because Public Enemy are involved. Again, all four guys are in the ring a lot. They're brawling on the outside. There's weapons at times. Uh, there's a table used at one point. We've got some cool moments. Again, you know, the Steiner is throwing people around for fun. Uh, Rocker Rock is power slammed when he jumps off the top rope. Rick grabs him and turns it into a power slam. That was quite impressive. And then Scott Steiner suplexes him from the middle rope as well, like an exploder-style suplex with his opponent sat on the top. That was quite cool. Again, that, no, it's it's just chaos, Danny, isn't it? It really is. I made a note here and said, um, a few weeks ago, we talked about Loch Ness maybe not having the best debut, but then the week after, he blew it out of the water. I feel the same theory here for the Steiners because they were on fire here. Um, and the highlight for me was, was that table spot you alluded to where... Um, Rock or Rock attempts to put Rick Steiner through the table, but Rick moves, and I thought that was really that t- that table break was very, came off very violent. Yeah, it, it, he's he's not a small fella, and he does a kind of forward flip, I suppose, almost a swanton over the top, and ends up going through this table. But the table doesn't disintegrate like some of the modern tables. This table just breaks where he hits it, and it, it, the expression of pain on Rock or Rock's face. This did not look like it was very comfortable. Not at all, mate. Not at all. <laughs> but then that leads us to um, the Steiner's. Uh, well, Scott Steiner hits a, a Frankensteiner, which um, is amazing. I mean yeah. that. And then with the Steiner's hit their finisher. I was. I got to ask you this last week, sir. Do you know what that finisher of the Steiner brothers is called? I've got no idea. <laughs> I have no idea either. But it's kind of like a doomsday device, isn't it, that the Road Warriors do? But rather yeah. than rather than Scott clotheslining his opponent off his brother's shoulders, uh, Rick is facing the opposite direction, and Scott hits a bulldog off his brother's shoulders onto the deck. I've got no idea what they called it. I don't know if it ever actually really had a name. You know, yeah. there's a strong possibility people will be shouting at their podcast players now because they know the name, and I'm going to look stupid. But I, I don't recall a name being used. No, same here. Um, I, I just wrote, um, just kind of running bulldog type thing. Um, but <laughs> yeah, it was very, it was impressive enough to get the one, two, three, and it, it was a decent match. Yeah, it was uh, chaotic but decent. I mean, we're seeing a little bit of a, a pattern developing here with some of these matches, in that they're not really having to tag in and out, which is kind of the ethos of tag wrestling. So, but we'll see how that develops. I guess we'll see how that develops. 
up next than Danny. Up next is one of my personal favorite wrestlers, and he's wrestling one of yours, isn't he? Uh, <laughs> that's a word you can use. <laughs> <laughs> Arn Anderson is taking on the Booty Man, and I want to point out here the complete polar opposites of these entrances. Arn comes out first to the famous Horseman music, that lone guitar playing over the top of the, you know, uh, he has the bomber jacket on. Woman is with him, and that he just looks badass. Arn just looks like a professional wrestler and you just believe in what he is and what he says. Then the booty man comes out and he's doing some weird gyrating, pointing, dancey kind of effort. And you actually messaged me, Danny, didn't you, when you watched this Nitro back? Uh, and what was it you were messaging me about with regards to this moment? It had to be the uh, entrance music of the booty man. Um, the first time I ever heard this, and I'm just in in the words of his lordship, the great Mags, Jesus Christ! Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that theme song was horrible. Um, it it would have to improve to be horrible. Actually, I mean, just I couldn't believe <laughs> they went with this. Uh, I thought, I mean, I know the Booty Man is a flamboyant character and and everything like that. I just. I mean, couldn't they have just put a little bit of effort into this? This sounded so generic. What did you think about it? That's crap. (laughs) Basically, it's absolute garbage, you know, but it just fits in with everything about the booty man. I think it's crap, you know, and what gets me about this match here is how you've got to me. The booty man just screams WWF. I don't know if it is because it is Ed Leslie and he, he was, he was, you know, Brutus Beefcake or I don't know, but he just screams late eighties WWF. This is 1996 WCW. It's a completely different feel to the product. And you've got Arn Anderson, who I keep going back to and saying, this guy is just absolutely gold. He is so believable as a pro wrestler in everything he does. All of his moves make sense. His interviews make sense and, and are believable. Uh, his selling is, is on point. It looks like he's, you know, it, it genuinely looks like Arn Anderson is in a fight. And to me, that's the purpose of professional wrestling. Now, the booty man doesn't tick any of those boxes. So what's, I, I just don't get it. I mean, I've, had, I've literally got a note here saying about how Arn Anderson sells a certain move into the corner. It looks like he's genuinely hurt. He rolls out the ring. He gets back in the ring. They exchange a few punches and Arn's punches look great. And just when the thing, I'm sat there and I'm thinking, okay, this is getting going now the booty man starts doing a stupid over the top strut. And my note in front of me here on, on my little notepad literally says booty man is strutting. Fuck off. <laughs> That's a great way of putting it. It's like, like, Oh, just Arn Anderson. It feels like he, he shouldn't have to be put in this situation. I, do, I feel really bad for Arn Anderson. Um, I know they're trying to push the booty man and it pays to be Hulk Hogan's friend, but I think you're sacrificing Arn too much here, especially with the finish. Yeah, I, I think with Arn Anderson, at this point in his career, he's, especially in, in the sort of southern states and the, the, that's those sort of areas where Jim Crockett promotions and the horsemen ran wild, I guess. Excuse the pun. Uh, Hogan reference there. I think Arn Anderson is effectively Teflon at this point in his career. He can eat the pins. He can take defeats and it not hurt his career and not hurt him as a character. I think that's, I think that's incredibly believable. You know, it, it doesn't affect him as much as it might affect, say somebody who's still, you know, an up and comer potentially, or somebody whose character isn't as well developed maybe. But I mean, some of the moments we get in this match, the, the booty man selling is just very cartoonish. 
And again, it's it's the polar opposite to what we're seeing from his opponent. And one example of that is Arn attempts a axe handle from the middle rope. And it's countered by the booty man punching Arn in the stomach, which is fine. But Arn barely touches the canvas and turns it into a forward flip to take the bump on his back. And it looked fantastic. And it made the simple punch from the booty man look really, really good. Whereas the other side of the coin, Arn was throwing some punches and threw a quite stiff short-arm clothesline at one point. The booty man's cartoon selling and an obsession with trying to strut and point his fingers made Arn's moves look like shit. Yeah, I fully agreed. I mean, it, it was also Booty Man's facials as well that killed it for me. It was like, just, uh, you you just want to slap him, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you do. You do. I mean, obviously, if you slap that face, you don't quite know how much powder is going to fall out, do you? But anyway, that's <laughs> another conversation. Um, <laughs> uh, Kimberly arrives again. She's besotted with the Booty, 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 Booty Man, it seems. And when she arrives and comes out towards the ring area, woman goes at her with her shoe. We end up with both wrestlers coming out and having a little bit of a, a sort of not a confrontation, but trying to separate the two ladies before, as they get back into the ring, the bo- and this is the only part of the booty man that I think is great. His finish is, is, is a, is, is a knee strike, but it's called the high knee as in high knee, as in someone's arse that I get a kick out of that. I think that is a funny little pun, but that's about it. You know, <laughs> okay, I, I missed that totally, and that is definitely, yeah, that's my favorite part of him too. So, that, that if he can get as many arse puns in there as he can, um, <laughs> I might have to change uh, my stance on him if he just we need to see him cut a promo, yet we're still yet to see him. We don't want that to happen. <laughs> Tune in to Saturday nights, oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, there we go. The, the, the booty man hits the hiney and wins. And I've just got another note here that says bullshit. My note says I feel sick. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> uh, we go from somebody who is pretty cartoony and reminds me of late 80s, early 90s WWF to two tag teams that are pretty cartoony that remind me of late 80s, early 90s WWF when we have the Road Warriors facing the Nasty Boys. And again, it's just it's just chaos in this tag match. There's no structure. There's no tagging in and out. It's just brawling. And again, I'm not complaining from a standpoint of I wasn't entertained, but it's, it's that thing of, well, all four guys are in the ring or they're fighting on the outside and, and so on. It just really feels like you've got no structure to the tag matches over the last few weeks, which I think hurts that brilliant tag division that we're talking about, Danny. It really does. It's like, let's get on with it but my um thing about this it started off very positively because you had the nasty boys running down in anger taped up to sell the injuries from last week and that's something that not enough wrestling companies do these days because um there's many examples i I don't need to get into it of a wrestler a comes out uh coming it attacks the wrestler a wrestler attacks a wrestler then the next week the attacked wrestler comes out smiling hugging uh, clapping fans and basically no selling the angle but this week the nasty boys came out anger they were pissed off they ran down uh injured and i really enjoyed that opening but then it went downhill yeah. 
<laughs> well, it does make sense, doesn't it? It's a throwback to last week, so that's good. It's a continuation of what, of what we're seeing. The one note I do have to make about the taping up of the injuries, however, is Sag's shoulder injury being taped up. No issues with that. Brian Nobbs is taped up over his shirt. I mean, come on. That just it, it's stupid. It's ridiculous. Uh, yeah, I think somebody didn't want their shirt ripped off of them. <laughs> mm. I mean, obviously, if you had an injury to your your, your torso, you, you wouldn't you'd be taped up underneath anything you're wearing. I, it just I just looked at it and thought well, that's just bloody stupid. But never mind, never mind. You haven't been to A and E enough, Si. <laughs> obviously not, mate. Obviously not. I haven't been attacked by the road warriors enough to to experience that. Um, <laughs> as I said, plenty of brawling outside. Uh, we come back from a break to see the road warriors take control for a while. Then there's a chair, but not what you would expect at a wrestling show, not a foldable wrestling chair. This is a, like a plastic chair with four metal legs, like your teacher might sit on in junior school. And they're just walloping each other with this, you know, not particularly wrestling bump friendly item right in front of the referee. So there's no DQ there. And then it kind of all starts to feel a little bit dated to me. It's kind of, I've seen these two teams wrestle a few times in the past. And I've seen them put on better matches, maybe because they were younger, potentially. I wasn't a big fan of all of this. But then all four are in the ring again, and they're brawling away. Then the Steiners arrive, so it's more chaos. The, the arm pad ends up in the ring, and Animal clocks his opponent for the win again. So second week in a row, the Road Warriors are used this, this spiked arm pad to, to get the victory. What are your thoughts then, Danny, overall about what we saw here with this pretty chaotic uh, match. Very much the same uh, as you, but apart from that uh, running, which was explained, uh, the Nasty Boys running in, I felt this went downhill uh, quite fast. Um, that We had the Steiner brothers running, and like you said, the arm pad, uh, kind of the same finish as last week. It was it, They kind of could have mixed it up a little bit, but... Um, unless I guess they're building for something, and mm, yeah, I guess I maybe so. this is a way of turning the uh, Road Warriors heel. Um, potentially, I mean, I suppose when you're trying to look at the balance of the division, what have you got? Sting and Luger, in theory, despite all Luger's you know shenanigans, they're effectively a babyface team. The Steiners are, are a babyface team. Harlem Heat are supposedly a heel team, I think. But now Booker T is teaming with Sting, so that's interesting there. Public Enemy, I'm not sure what they are. They get cheers because the crowd enjoy waving their arms with them. And then they bring a table out, which gets a positive reaction as well. So maybe they do need a heel team in that division. I just think turning the Road Warriors heel is always kind of difficult to do. It's the same as Ric Flair in the later years of his career. Flair wrestled all of his best work as a heel but it got to a stage where people were cheering for him just because of how good he was and, and how long he's been around. And I think you've got a similar issue with the road warriors in that aspect. Yeah, I can see that side as well, but yeah, um, I did write on at the end of this. I, I don't know why, but I wrote, this is gold. <laughs> maybe it was for the finish. <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe <laughs> uh, we do come to our main event now though, which is another tag match. And we have Ric Flair and Kevin Sullivan, and they are facing the team of Hulk Hogan and Randy Savage in a Tornado Tag Rules. Now, Tornado Tags are effectively, you don't tag in and out, or four can be in the ring. It's just absolute chaos and bedlam. So pretty much like every other tag match we've seen on Nitro for the past two weeks. 
<laughs> yep, it's tag team week this week. So, <laughs> but just, just before, just before we get into the match, um, how great did Woman look holding the big gold? Yes, yeah, I'm a big fan of things like that. When I suppose wrestlers have unique ways of carrying or holding the title. I mean, obviously, a lot of guys put it around their waist, which is fine. But if you're not wearing it, you see, like Alexa Bliss does the thing where she puts the belt behind her head. So that's quite unique. I quite like that. You see the rock carries it over his shoulder. Austin almost drags it behind him in, in back in the day. So whenever you saw a massive wrestler, and and you know, Flair is a big deal, isn't he? But then that huge gold belt being carried by the quite you know the, the quite slight figure of woman. I think that's a real striking image as well. And it's it, all of a sudden the world total felt important for a moment when it hasn't done for a few weeks. Definitely for a fleeting moment. <laughs> yeah, for a fleeting moment indeed. Uh, again, this match it's it's the same as all the tag matches we've seen in recent weeks. It's absolute chaos. There's people fighting all over the place. I got a kick out of Hulk Hogan taking a sponge hat out of the crowd and putting it on Ric Flair and then punching him. That was quite funny. Uh, Hogan effectively then takes out everybody with a chair. It's pretty one-sided for a long period of time, Danny, isn't it? It really is. And um, what I think I found uh, really funny was Hulk Hogan doing the eye poke to Kevin Sullivan right in front of the referee. <laughs> I yeah. found, oh, come on, Hulk, at least try and hide it. Yeah, well, I mean, it's tornado tag rules. So, so in theory, I think that is no DQ. But also, you look at the stuff that's gone on in the tag matches just on this show. And then last week's Nitro, for example, we've got people swinging chairs. We've got people bringing tables to the ring and the referee isn't saying anything. So I think it's just the Wild West at the moment, to be fair. Yeah, <laughs> I think you're right. And uh, the most interesting question that was raised during this is uh, by the announcers is, where was Elizabeth? Where was she? Mm. Hmm. They kept harping on it uh, throughout the match, and it was like maybe they're building to something here because normally she's usually there in the main event picture, but not sure where she is this week. No, no, that is interesting. Um, again, lots of brawling, lots of stuff going in and out the ring. Hogan dominates for a long period of time because I'm assuming that this was called a great deal of this was called on the fly, I would imagine. I don't know for certain, but watching the match and how it was structured and how, how things sort of happened in front of us, I'm assuming there were certain bullet points they had to hit, but the majority of it was just guys brawling, so they were calling on the fly. So Hogan, of course, made himself look amazing for the whole duration of it. Um, we get a few moments that I thought were quite cool. Flair at one point puts the figure four on Savage, but only for Hogan on the other side of the ring to put the figure four on Kevin Sullivan. So you had this moment of one guy in either team could potentially submit or could submit at the same time. And so that was quite, quite an interesting spot, Danny. That was, yeah, it was good. It was good. Uh, it got a good crowd reaction. Um, then there's something I needed to ask you, Sai, on this is, um, what do you think of the Ric Flair spot where he pushed referee and then the referee pushed him? And do you think it, it was needed during this? Um. It probably wasn't needed during this match, no, because there was enough moving parts and enough going on for it not to be required. I'm, I can understand why Flair does it because it's a good spot. Because you know, Flair for the majority of his career wrestled as a bad guy. He was booed in the majority of places he went because he was very good at being that bad guy. So when you would see Flair get physical with a referee, and then the referee would turn around and even just jab him in the chest and tell him off. The crowd would react to that 
So he's getting a reaction from the crowd for not really having to do much. The whole, the ref pushing Flair and Flair bumping for him. I suppose you can look at it in two separate ways. One, again, you're getting a massive reaction from the crowd because they're going to get a kick out of the referee not taking his nonsense. But on the other side of that, this referee is a tiny little fella and he's managed to floor your world champion, even if it is momentarily. Maybe that's a little bit nitpicky on my part. I don't know. Uh, I think there is a time and a place for it. I think there are certain matches where Flair has busted that out and got a great reaction from the audience, which is kind of all you're looking for, isn't it? You just want them to react. Yeah, definitely. Um, I'm on the, the side of uh, your point where you said um, flooring the, the referee flooring the world champion. I just wasn't a fan of it. It was like, ah. But I know what you mean. It's, like, it, it's a spot that people won't really focus too much on because... It's uh it's in the main event of this and we're going to a pay per view next so mm. yeah and I suppose you got to think as well when Flair was the touring champion when Flair was the the NWA world champion and was touring all the territories the referees at the local shows the referees in these territorial uh, areas would be regular faces I guess so if Flair went to Houston wrestling or if Flair went to world class in Texas the referees would be the same referees that the fans will be seeing most weeks so that you come familiar with who your referee is. Flair comes in, is tasked with making their, their top guy in that territory look like he could win the world title, but then escaping with by the skin of his teeth. Sometimes that job is more difficult than other times. I mean, I imagine he wrestled some absolute dross in his time and took them to an hour because Flair was that good. It's, I suppose, another string to the bow, isn't it? In that, he can do this with the local referee and the fans would pop for it in the local arena. It could kill more time as they head towards that 30 minute or 60 minute or 90 minute draw that he worked so often. And also I suppose it gives the guy a break who is in the ring with flair. He gets a bit of a breather for 30 seconds. I suppose I think from the territory days, it makes a lot more sense than potentially it does on television, but I still got not got a massive problem with it to be fair. Cool, mate. Okay, uh, <laughs> Hogan here again, no sales or suplex at one point, but normally I dislike this. I didn't mind it too much on this occasion because there was so much chaos going on. It wasn't so, it just didn't seem so bad when he did it, I guess. I can't explain why. Um, as, as this happens, you know, Flair eventually gets knocked to the floor. Flair gets woman's shoe, hits Hogan. Hogan hulks up. <laughs> as, as he would do of course Arn Anderson comes out uh, Arn trips Hogan Brian Pillman is here again so there's just chaos and fighting and, and so on on the outside the booty man arrives, there's chairs there's all sorts and then the bell rings because the ref has just finally decided you know what, I've had a long night of this nonsense I'm calling this a day, you know you could see it in his face. It was like, ah, oh, I'm just, I'm annoyed. Um, when <laughs> when Brian Pillman came out, that again, it was like, I mean, the match was entertaining, but it got to that real level when Brian Pillman came out. And I'm not just talking about his amazing trousers that I totally want. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I mean, he, he was brilliant. And he came out with a T-shirt that had a phone number on it as well. The same phone number as the um, signs last week. So they were clearly trying to get uh, people to ring uh, maybe a hotline and make some money off of it. But yeah. Potentially. I mean, I did Google that phone number. 
to see if it came up with the WCW hotline number or whatever it was, but it's not that number. So, and, and the, the, the signs were saying call Brian. So was this his own number and he's trying to get booked different places, maybe playing the same role of, you know, trying to make out he's not, he's not under contract anywhere. And I don't, we'll have to look more into that, Danny, for next week's show when we cover Uncensored and have a little look at what's, uh, what's going on there. I think. Definitely. I'm up for that. The match is effectively thrown out here as a no contest or a double DQ or however you want to, to look at it, I guess. And then we get the debut of a couple of huge fellas who are joining the Horsemen and joining the Dungeon of Doom to defeat Hulkamania and, and end Hulk Hogan forever and all this sort of usual nonsense that we've heard since 1985. We have Zeus, if everyone can remember him, from SummerSlam 89. He is the guy who was in No Holds Barred, the film with Hogan. Uh, this guy is obviously goes by the name of Tommy Tiny Lister. He took part in the SummerSlam 89 main event and also wrestled Hogan, I think, one-on-one in a cage maybe at some point. Uh, he's not been in the wrestling business since then, to my knowledge, and here he is coming back in 96. He doesn't look as put together as he did in 89. Uh, and he's got baggy trousers on. Uh, he's still got the really weird eye, though. Really strange thing going on there. Uh, he's now going by the name Zed Gangster or Z Gangster and has Gangster written on the side of his head. Uh, do you know who that was alongside him, Danny? I have no idea. I mean, I barely recognize Zeus because I've only seen that one appearance where he intimidated Hulk Hogan on his in his match before the big boss man. Um, okay. so I'm not too familiar with Zeus. I've never seen No Holds Bars, but I've only seen clips of it. But no, I didn't even know who this guy was uh, next to him. Who was it, sir? This was a fella called Robert Swenson. Now, he was a stuntman in certain films. Uh, he, I think he had some boxing matches at some stage. And he worked in wrestling for a very short period, maybe five to ten years or something, maybe even less than that, to be fair. But yeah, he had some boxing matches and was a stuntman in movies and so on. Now, he passed away very young. He was dead within a year or two of this appearance. Uh, again, 40 years of age. He'd used steroids all his life. So we kind of were, we're very familiar as wrestling fans with how that story goes, aren't we? Yeah. His name here, though, is kind of what causes the issue. He is referred to not necessarily on air on nitro here but he is referred to around this time as the final solution now danny do you know what the final solution is or no what? i'm not too familiar with that no okay it turns like wsw management wasn't too familiar with it either because the name the final solution is the name that adolf hitler gave his plan to kill all the jews ah Ah, indeed. They say they weren't aware of this and they changed his name. His name eventually changed to the ultimate solution instead. Uh, but yeah, it's interesting as well because we see Hogan and the rest of the good guys retreat. They all run away. Very un-Hulk Hogan. That, that was, this was, sorry, this was completely weird. Um, when he came out with, uh, when both of them came out with Kevin Sullivan, I was like, who are these guys? But then I barely recognized Zeus, but it was like, we've seen this before with Loch Ness, and look how that's turned out. Granted, mm-hmm. they are trying their best to rebuild him with this giant feud, but this close to the last pay per view where um, Loch Ness showed up, I found this a bit, oh, I think we've seen this before, that kind of like, um, 
when you deja vu type of thing, but they looked impressive. They did. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a very standard Hulk Hogan trait, isn't it? Hogan has to overcome the monsters. And that's the way it's always been. You, you go way back to... And when Hogan first won, his, it, it won the WWF World title in, what would it have been, 84, I think it was, he had to beat the big foreign menace of the Iron Sheik. Come to WrestleMania 2, he had to beat King Kong Bundy, this big monster, bad guy in the cage. WrestleMania 3, obviously, Andre the Giant, big monster he had to defeat. And, and that's always been the way where Hogan made, uh, and the WWF, made their money in those early years of Hulkamania, it was always Hogan cannot overcome this new obstacle. And then he does. And then they have to find another obstacle for him to overcome because once you beat that guy, the aura is gone. So it, the whole aspect of, you know, this, this guy cannot be defeated and Hogan defeats him. That, that heals aura is it disappears. So they're kind of doing the same thing here with the dungeon of doom and the way that Hogan has ran through pretty much everyone in the dungeon of doom one way or another. And they're bringing in more guys all the time to try and extend that storyline and give Hogan and of course Savage in this instance, some new adversary or impossible odds to try and try and defeat, I guess. Yeah, uh, that's a great point. It was like, um, I don't know if you call it at the end of it, Tony Schiavone says, wow, this man has, has wrestled Hulk Hogan in the late eighties. So they referenced, um, Zeus's, uh, or Zed gangster now, um, is past, but, it was like, now you've told me about um, the ultimate solution or flat final solution. This is kind of taking a dark turn. So I'm not going <laughs> to <Yeah>. lie. <laughs> I'm yeah. going to, I'm going to research this guy, especially finding out he passed away not long after this. It was like, mm, wow. Yeah. I mean, he died at the age of 40. I think it was 97 or 98. He died. I mean, maybe it may, may have been as early as like 12 months after this, this, this sort of little run he had. And of course we lost uh tiny lister Zeus only a year or two ago as well, which is a big shame, but yeah, there we go. Um, and, <sighs> Tony Schiavone is in the ring here with the, with the, the group, as you say, and they're all just ranting and shouting about how they're going to destroy Hulkamania uh, on the Sunday night. And you mentioned there, SummerSlam 89, little throwback for us. Tony Schiavone was actually the commentator on that event when Hogan faced Zeus. So I like little throwbacks like that, Danny. It makes me happy. Yeah, it's really cool. I mean, he would know he was there calling the action. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And that is the end of our Go Home Nitro before Uncensored 1996. Danny, we need to run through now what you can remember they have said is on the card. Now, Bischoff, to be fair, he has told us quite a bit over the last couple of weeks, but he literally shouts it out at 100 miles an hour. So what can you think of is on the pay-per-view that we'll be looking at next week? To be honest, it was the four cages. And yep. I remember what I remember most about that is Bobby Heenan saying that they're not going to be side by side. They're going to be stacked on top of each other. So I'm really looking forward to that. Um, I can remember Booker T teaming with Sting because it, we discussed it. And I can remember that Lex Luger is somehow going to be involved in the main event. But credit to Eric Bischoff because he did, he, he, like you said, he ran for it very fast. But at least it was something, as we mm. talk about in previous shows, where they did nothing to, to promote it. Um Apart from that, oh, and the, the Giants versus Loch Ness is happening at the pay-per-view. Apart from that, nothing. So how about yourself? No, you, you've done pretty well, mate. You've done pretty well uh, going by what you're trying to remember what WCW told us is happening. There's two that stand out to me that you didn't mention. One is uh, Medusa is facing Colonel Robert Parker. 
So that's going to be probably awful. And uh, we have a United States title match and Conan defending the championship against Eddie Guerrero, which I'm quite looking forward to. I think that could be quite good. Yeah, that does sound cool. So, I mean, it's at least, they, like we said, at least they've, um, we're not sitting here just wondering about the main event or what the undercard's going to be. At least they did try something and say, okay, buy this pay-per-view to see. But now I'm very intrigued to see where these monsters show up. If Will they be in one of the four cages? But I mean, this is interesting to me yeah. because I've seen this match. I know what happens. I'm assuming you haven't. You have no idea what this is. No. Oh, are you in for a treat? <laughs> I'm thinking um, from 2000 when they had the three cages on top of each other. I'm thinking it's something like that, but with four. Yeah, yeah. very, 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 <laughs> very similar. And basically, I think Bischoff did mention a little bit about it on the commentary, or maybe Heenan mentioned it. The the two, I suppose, good guys. I think they start at the top. And they have to fight their way down each layer and each level. There's more opponents and, and more, you know, risk, I guess, as they fight their way down. So, wow. yeah, that's kind of, I think they've got to escape to win is kind of the, yeah. It's quite a notorious match from WCW's past that, well, we'll see next week. We'll see next week. No spoilers for you, my friend. We'll we, see next week. We will see next week. But just uh, just on the quick side, um, what do you think about booking two steel cage matches this close to each other on two separate pay-per-views. Um, I can understand why some people may see it as overkill. However, this feels different because it is four cages on top of each other. There's so many people involved. It, this feels really like the, the blow off the end of the feud. This is going to decide it once and for all. It probably bloody won't, but it feels like it should. So I've got no real issue with that to be fair. Yeah, I'm the same because it was like at least they spaced it out enough and they told us with great story. Well, you can say if you that's arguable, but they told us with story, <laughs> um, who might show up. And if there's new characters involved, you've got the booty man, you've got Zed Gangster, and uh, the ultimate solution. And yeah, you just have to order the pay per view to uh, see what happens, exactly. And it's a selling point again, isn't it? It's a selling point again. So then. I suppose we better give our woos and our O brothers, our plus points and our negatives, and then uh, rate the show overall, Danny. Woo! Brother, 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 brothers, brother. Woo! Brother. Do you want to go first or second, my friend? I'll go first this week, sir. You crack on. So uh, this one, the woos for this week would have to be uh, WW promoting the pay-per-view. We just went through it. <laughs> but yeah, <laughs> the fact that they even bothered um, definitely gets my roof for this week. So what's yours, mate? Mine is the show open. The fact that it was just different because we're so used to seeing our three commentators running through what's going on on the show and so on. But this felt exciting. It felt fresh. It, it, it grabbed my attention straight away because the show began with no intro. None of that fantastic graphics going down the street and the fire and the music. So I love the I love the Nitro interest. It's brilliant. We just start with these two massive monsters brawling and then Lex Luger being an absolute shithouse. I thought the show open was awesome. So that was my woo this week. Brilliant. Um, and my old brother this week would be, unsurprisingly to anyone, the booty band pinning Arn Anderson. I understand what you said earlier about Arn Anderson is Teflon, but it just it just felt so wrong. And especially, he just kicked him in the head and then pinned him. It was like, oh, man, 
Arnand could have kicked out of that. In fact, he popped up two seconds after, didn't he? <laughs> yeah, I wonder if Arnand's pissed off. <laughs> he looked it. <laughs> yeah. What's yours, my friend? My O oh brother this week is just the chaos in the tag matches. It's not a hardcore division. And the fact that the main event was set up in this Texas Tornado tag rules to be chaotic, to have everyone in the ring at the same time. You don't need to tag in and out. The fact that that was literally the stipulation in the main event. I feel the tag matches underneath and last week should have adhered to the rules much more to get the effect they wanted from the stipulation in the main event. I don't mind a bit of chaos and a bit of brawling, but when it's every tag match, it kind of defeats the purpose of it being a tag match. And it took away from the main event stipulation a bit for me. I think they're just doing that to promote the pay-per-view and then straight after, hopefully we'll get back to normal tag team wrestling. Yeah, I hope so as well, my friend. I hope so as well. Ah, hit, miss, or middle in them, bud? I'm going middle this week, sir. Okay. Uh, I'm actually going hit this week. It just sneaks into the hit territory for me. Uh, There was a bit of nonsense, and obviously I was complaining about the tag matches and all that as well, but there was still enough that I really enjoyed it. I still really enjoyed this chaotic hour of television, and it's got me really excited for Uncensored 96. Brilliant. I know deep down as a WCW fan, that disappointment, that excitement is going to lead to disappointment. But at the moment I'm excited. (laughs) As I am. I mean, I'm yet to see that pay-per-view. So um, I'll let, I'll probably text you throughout it. (laughs) (laughs) I look forward to it, but I look forward to it. Do you want to let everybody know whereabouts they can find you online and all the shows you're involved in, bud? Yep, you can find me on Twitter at Scottish Juggalo. You can hear me on One Man's Meat Podcast with the great Chris Bellis. You can hear me on Back When with the great Ty Peters. And you can hear me here where we'll be talking about Uncensored with the great Cy Powell. Oh, you're very kind, but you do need to knock up great stuff on the head when you're referencing me. It makes me blush, mate. It makes me... <laughs> I need to write a better script. <laughs> uh, you can find me online at SJPWords.com. And you can find the network at SJP World Media on Facebook and Twitter. Probably that one is more so important than anything else, because then you get access to all the shows that the network carries. Wrestling, sci-fi, time travel, looking back on old wrestling, talking about modern wrestling, shows I'm involved in, shows that other brilliant content creators are involved in, all sorts of topics covered, and even more coming soon. That's SJ at SJP World Media on Twitter and Facebook. But also, and most importantly, you can follow this show on Facebook and Twitter, at Nitro underscore Nights. That's at Nitro underscore Nights. Danny, we love pay-per-view week, and next week is pay-per-view week. Nitro Nights uncensored. (laughs) (laughs) I'll speak to you then, bud. Take care, bud. And to everyone else, as always, thank you for listening.